Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What a Day This Is, this edition of Novak Now, coming to you live here from New York. Of course, would much rather be in Jerusalem today, in Jerusalem today, for all the obvious reasons. Today is the day that the U.S. Embassy is officially opening and dedicated in Jerusalem. And uh, as, as it has been every week of this program, I have not had to justify leading and making this program about a story from Israel, because that is really, if you look at every website, every newspaper today right now, uh, listen on the radio, turn on your cable news, uh, after this program you'll see that the Jerusalem dedication and the stories surrounding it are by far the top story today. At least they were after 6 a.m. Um, when I first tuned in to some of the news channels uh, at 6 a.m., with the exception of Fox and One America News, the there were a number of uh, networks that were trying to start with a more difficult story to take their pound of Trump flesh for the day. They're trying to bash Trump on a trade issue, and I'll talk about that in a second when we just take a quick look at the headlines. But, hey, uh, this is a big historic day, and it's an historic day not just for the United States and for Israel, but certainly for the American Jewish community. And I want to talk to you today about that and, and, and what that means for us. You know, you've heard me on this program. Novak now here on Nachum Siegel Network, you've heard me a couple of times say that the job of Zionism and the job of spreading the word of Zionism and speaking about it and getting the stories about Israel out is really our job. And I don't just mean the American Jewish community. I don't mean just the American evangelical Christian community, or I don't mean just Zionists all over the world, you know, in the United States. I mean all over the world. All over the world, it's really our job to do that. But very often, even our own leaders, even the people who are very much sympathetic to Israel and sympathetic to the Zionist cause, or, or again, our leaders, don't give us the tools that we need to really discuss the issues properly. And of course, the first tools that we really need are the history. Uh, you need the historical tools. And uh, very often, even very strong supporters of Israel, strong Jews, strong evangelical Christians, strong Catholics, you name it, don't really know the history of Israel. And I don't mean just the last 70 years, but really the last 140 or so years since the major resettlement of Israel began and that tiny Jewish community in Israel began to be get augmented by European, uh, European Jews who were coming back to the land of Israel. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but again, just to look at the headlines a little bit today, again, the big story is of course, the US dedication ceremony for the US embassy in Jerusalem moving from Tel Aviv, uh, something really, really that should never have happened uh, the United States, at the establishment of the State of Israel, felt that it would be provocative for some of Israel's Arab enemies not to set up to set up the embassy in Jerusalem. So they set it up in Tel Aviv and they kept it there. And even after the city of Jerusalem was completely unified after the Six Day War, at the end of the Six Day War, the United States did not change its policy. Again, just to quickly go through this history, it took another 28 years until 1995 when Congress voted almost unanimously, a very strong vote, to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And then you had a you know, subsequent presidents not doing it, even though they promised to do it, starting with President Clinton, then President George W. Bush, then President Obama. And now, less than a year and a half into his presidency, President Trump has fulfilled not only his own promise on the campaign trail, but importantly, an American promise and a truly bipartisan promise. The last time Congress reasserted the the, the rule to bring the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the vote was 90 to nothing. So you're going to hear today on a lot of news programs that President Trump is playing to his base, playing to extremists in the Christian Jewish community, this, that, that kind of nonsense. And I call it nonsense because a 90 to zero vote in the Senate just doesn't come along that often. 
So I need to, when somebody says it's extremists, I need to know which of the 90 extremists in the Senate were the ones that voted with President Trump and, and, and urging him to move the, the, the embassy for, I guess, the sixth or seventh or maybe eighth time since 1995 when the original vote passed, also by an almost unanimous vote. So that's very, very important. The other really important thing that everyone really needs to understand is that by declaring Jerusalem the capital of Israel and recognized by the, by the United States government, President Trump, of course, has not made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. You're going to hear that being said today by a lot of supporters and even a lot of detractors. Obviously, no American president, no matter how favorable, is going to um, make Jerusalem the capital of the state of Israel. That's not how it works. Jerusalem has been the capital of the state of the Jewish people and of the land of Israel for over 3,000 years, as was mentioned many times today during the dedication ceremony. But recognition is really, really important because it's not just a recognition, and maybe it isn't even really a recognition of the state of Israel and Jerusalem as the capital. That's already been done by so many actions in history. There's another recognition, though, that is important here, that is something that we should really, really focus on today. And that is the recognition that Jewish self-determination, you might want to call it chutzpah, but the Jewish desire, the Jewish, the Jewish insistence not to be forgotten, the Jewish insistence that we will live as free people in Israel with Jerusalem as our capital, does not necessarily mean bad things are going to happen to Jews. There are still a lot of Jews throughout the world, even religious Jews, who believe in what... Uh, one of my rabbis calls shas still Judaism, the Yiddish term for keep quiet. You know, the idea that if we just keep our heads bowed down low, don't bother anybody, keep our identity very quiet, no one will bother us. Well, I don't know how much of an ignoramus you have to be and how ignorant you have to be of 5,000 years of Jewish history to know that that isn't true. That doesn't work. And you don't have to be a, an annoying unnecessarily provocative person as a Jew, but you cannot expect to hide in the shadows. The enemies of the Jewish people and the enemies of civilization and decency will always find the good people to pick on and, of course, in worst case scenario, to kill, to murder, to do violence against them. So this is a very important story because, yes, there's going to be a lot of video today on the news of people protesting this move. Uh, the fact is, though, the United States is undisputedly <laughs> Is, is the undisputed world power, the strongest country in the world, both militarily and economically. That is still the case. So if Jews demanding self-determination, if Jews demanding to be recognized, if Jews demanding to be respected in the world, not only doesn't bring all, any anger from the United States government along with it, but brings strong support, then I think the argument about Jewish self-determination and how loud and proud we need to be at times really should be over. Again, if you, if you get yourself into a debate today, whether live and in person or on social media, that's the way the world is today. I think most debates are going on on social media for better or for worse. Don't forget to use the facts at your side. And the biggest fact of all is that the Jews have the world's greatest power on its side. And while Donald Trump has taken the step that previous presidents weren't willing to do, at least those previous presidents did not condemn Israel for declaring Jerusalem as its capital. At least previous Congresses did not condemn Israel. And remember, a lot of those Congresses were run by a, a different party than the current Republican Party that has the majority in both houses of Congress now. So it is still a bipartisan uh, fact of support from the United States for the Jewish people 
to be self-determined, to, to speak out. And while there are other nations in the world much weaker than the United States who oppose this move, you can't really do better than getting United States support. So this, this idea that the Jews should keep quiet, we shouldn't be provocative, it's, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work along the lines of history. And that, of course, brings us to another big part of the reasoning here for President Trump. Look, President Trump's policies are going to favor anything that flies in the face of several decades of failure. And there's a lot of failure to go around. And let's be very, very clear. It is on the shoulders of both parties in this country, both Republicans, Democrats, conservatives, and liberals. There's been a lot of failure in this country on a lot of different avenues of our policy, economic, military, foreign policy, you name it. We've had failures. We've had great successes as well, but we've had some failures. We have a $21 trillion debt. We have major, major problems at our border. We have education issues that are really the greatest threat to our economy. We have all these problems, and both parties have, I think, a very equal amount of responsibility for them. So you have a president who, of course, in name is a Republican, but who is very much campaigned and successfully run at least a year and a half or so of his administration on trying to change things. He certainly is changing things in Washington. And the biggest reason for opposition to, to Donald Trump is the fact that he is changing certain traditions that both parties hold dear. Most of which I don't think are worth keeping. Maybe some of them are. That's a different debate. So when you have a situation where the United States has a policy that it does not enact for 23 years, doesn't bother to follow through on a near unanimous, and in the last year, a unanimous vote by Congress to move an embassy and doesn't do it. And we still don't see peace. And we still don't see the progress that we would like to see in Israel. Then it's a really weak argument to say, well, President Trump, you shouldn't do this because then you're not going to have peace. That's what we don't have now. And again, a similar argument with the Iran deal. Folks saying, well, the Iran deal brings us this great path to peace and you shouldn't leave it. What peace have we had in the three years that the United States was part of the Iran deal? The Middle East is much more fraught with war and death and destruction than it was three years ago since the Iran deal was signed. And the Middle East has not improved, at least from the point of view of the relationship between the Israelis and the Palestinians, in all the years that we've been delaying, the United States has been delaying this embassy move. So the argument that this is going to make things worse, or that's a little bit of a stretch, but it is not even a stretch. It is not even remotely entertainable as, a, as, a, uh, as an argument to say, well, now there won't be peace. There already isn't peace between Israel and the Palestinians. And it has nothing to do with a decision on an embassy and, and a decision on recognizing a capital. An important thing also to remember is that how is the world in general responding to this? I know that there are protests, there are official statements from European leaders against this, although not all European leaders. We should note that some of the Eastern European countries like Austria and Hungary are not joining in on the European beatdown of Israel today and, and of President Trump today. But what about the rest of the world? You know, we've been told so often that the key to stopping terrorism in the world, the key to stopping all the economic problems in the world that, stir, that stem from terrorism and this kind of violence is to somehow solve the Israeli-Palestinian peace situation, which I don't think is true. And I don't think any serious thinking person who understands the Middle East and understands world, the, the world economic situation really believes that. But that's what we've heard from Democrats in this country. We've heard that from a lot of European leaders. We've heard that from a lot of Republican leaders as well. This is a, uh, a delusion that holds a lot of minds right now. So where are the world stock markets today? On this day where, according to those same people, 
this is a very provocative move that's going to lead to more war and more economic hardship. Well, as I speak to you right now at 11, 12 a.m. Eastern time, the Dow Jones Industrials are up 144 points. Looks like they're going to go on an eight-day winning streak. You never know what could happen in the last hours of trading, but let's just say the markets are rallying now. That's for sure. Uh, the European markets are down a little bit, just a little bit, very slightly, basically flat. And they're going to, I guess they close flat. They'll have another hour or so of trading. The Asian markets are all way up overnight. So, you know, the markets kind of tell the truth about things very often. They're telling the truth today, actually, in the Korean situation as well. For all the people poo-pooing the peace agreement, their peace agreement that's beginning to go get into shape between North and South Korea, uh, it turns out the hottest real estate investment right now in all of Asia are the plots of land along the North and South Korean border, the South Korean side. Because investors for years have stayed away from that part of, of the world, thinking that if there ever was any kind of violence that breaks out between North and South Korea, that's the first place that's going to go. God forbid anyone gets killed, but certainly homes and property are going to be in danger. Well, and people can't help themselves but buy up property now there because they're believing in this deal. Sometimes the market tells us truths that the politicians won't tell us. In fact, I would say the market tells truths almost always more often than the politicians. And if the truth was that establishing an embassy in Jerusalem for the United States is going to set off some kind of terrorist, new terrorist war or upheaval in the Middle East or and elsewhere that would affect oil prices, that would affect stocks, well, the market isn't buying it today. They're pretty much at highs of the day right now, almost 150 points higher on the Dow. Oil is up, but just barely, uh, just barely at the $71 barrel level. And that, of course is uh, high above the $70 level because of the exit from the Iran deal. And has, that has nothing to do with Israel right now. So that's a very, very important argument to make. Don't forget that the world can talk all at once, but money is where we really see where the real intentions are. And uh, right now the, the markets are saying this is not a bad day for the world. But I want to make another argument here, which is, which is very important, especially for conservatives. And I hope that the conservatives, and usually Republicans, but conservatives in general, I hope that they're listening very carefully to this. Again, you're listening to Novak now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm, I'm your host, Jake Novak. And I wanted to introduce myself again because I want to put, make sure I get my name connected to this and not hide behind other people who might say it sometimes or might not say it sometimes. As much as I've already spoken about the importance of Jewish self-determination and how great it is that Jews aren't hiding in the shadows, that Jews aren't afraid, things like that. There's another argument that I think is even more important that Jews need to make and supporters of Israel need to make, and that is the morality of this. You know, we, for too long as conservatives in this country and, and as maybe you call them right-wing or conservative Zionists in Israel, for too long, the morality argument is something that we've allowed the left to make. We've allowed the left to believe that it's on the side of morality. And we sometimes take comfort in believing that we're on the side of getting things done. And that's really a bad position to take for a lot of reasons, but the biggest reason why it's a bad position to take is because it isn't true. It isn't true. This move today by the United States is the moral high ground. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise, and I'm going to explain that. And once again, my explanation is based on history, based on facts, and you have to, if you're gonna let anyone debate you about this, make sure that whoever has an opposing opinion can either refute your facts or have some historical facts of their own. But this is a very important fact to remember. Whenever the United States has made it abundantly clear in actions more than just words, that it stands behind the state of Israel. 
then we have peace. The best example came during the 1973 Yom Kippur War, where you had a president, Richard Nixon, who was very much in crisis at that time. This is October 1973. He only has six months left in office. The Watergate scandal is really getting to its height. Reports out of many people who buy, who are biographers of President Nixon believe that he was drunk many <laughs> nights in the White House during that period. And yet, even at this incapacitated time for his presidency, both literally and figuratively, he sweeps into action, wastes no time, and when Israel's military supplies are starting to become depleted in the Yom Kippur War, when it looks like Israel might just run out of time in its two-front war against Syria and Egypt, the United States comes in and resupplies the Israeli military. And from that point on, the Israelis get that important shot in the arm. Now, from a military standpoint, from just a point of weapons and numbers and ammunition, you can understand the importance of that. But the truth is the really great value of that move by President Nixon wasn't the military supplies, as, as important as they were. The enduring value of that was, even, at the, even when it would have been very easy to let Israel take a major shot, I don't know if it would have destroyed the whole state of Israel, but it would have been easy for the United States to do that because the president was distracted at the time. He was on his way out of office. An historic resignation was on its way he decided to stand with the state of Israel. And a man, Richard Nixon, who we know, it was a very problematic history with, with Jewish people. The Watergate tapes are filled with anti-Semitic comments from, pres from President Nixon, and yet he still was a stalwart supporter of Israel when it really, really mattered. And when the Arab world saw that even at that very difficult time, the United States was going to stand with Israel in the most strongest possible way, that was the end of the, the dream of really destroying the state of Israel in a one-on-one -on -one confrontational war. Now, it's true that terrorism and other behind-the-scenes, low-impact kind of conflict between Arabs and, and, and Israelis became a new strategy. But one-on-one -on -one conflict, major apocalyptic-type war between Arabs and, and Israelis, that, that was the end of that. That ended that day that President Nixon sided with the state of Israel. And that is what started Anwar Sadat, who was the president of Egypt at the time of the war. And then, of course, a few years later, at the peace uh, treaty process with Israel. That's what started him down that process, when he realized the United States wasn't going to go anywhere, that the United States really supported Israel. And several years later, during the Gulf War, when the Israelis showed tremendous fortitude and did not retaliate against Saddam Hussein when he launched scuds against Tel Aviv and did quite a bit of damage in some parts of the city, at the request of President George H.W. Bush, the Israelis did not retaliate so that the U.S.-Arab coalition against Saddam could hold firm. It wouldn't be distracted by Israeli involvement or by any Israeli action. And the Israelis did that. And for that, the United States' gratitude to Israel was very, very evident in the years after the Gulf War, 1991, 92, 93. And so by 1994, Jordan came to the peace table. Now, they had had a de facto peace with Israel for a long time, but they felt it was at that point once again, with Israel and the United States being friendlier than ever before, it was a good idea to sit down and make a peace deal with them, an official peace treaty. And that's where we really are right now as well. The Arab countries, in this case the Palestinians, and I won't say the Arabs backing the Palestinians, because the Palestinians have lost a lot of their Arab support. The biggest support now for Palestinian in opposition to Israel and Palestinian terrorism and Hamas in particular is coming from Iran. And they're not Arabs. And Iran, for a long time, has hoped, just like all the other enemies of Israel, to separate Israel somewhat from U.S. support. 
But with the United States exiting the Iran deal, much to the delight of the Israelis and much at the advice of the Israelis, and now with this embassy move going through so quickly, so quickly after President Trump announcing it in December and then making it happen in May. I mean, that's a quick turnaround, folks. The message has to be sent now to the entire anti-Israel world, especially in the Middle East, that the United States supports Israel more than ever. And this is where the moral high ground comes in. Because in the past, when the United States has supported Israel, and that support has been clear, peace has come as a result. This is the peaceful move. You're going to hear the, the commentators on CNN and MSNBC chuckle. I mean, they'll probably literally chuckle today when the administration spokesman again say, we believe this is a move for peace. They're going to take a look at the protests in Gaza today and say, here's your peace. Of course, forgetting that there's been protests in Gaza for weeks now, not connected to this embassy. Forgetting that Iran is encouraging Palestinians to commit suicide in, in, in an attempted pogrom on the land of Israel. They'll forget that part. And they'll say, no, this is, this is something that's being provoked by Israel and the United States. But the truth is, the facts are that when the United States stands up with Israel, peace ensues. Some relative degree of peace ensues. Is it total peace? Is it world peace like we, they sing about on Christmas? No, that's not what we're talking about. Okay? But we are talking about relative steps in favor of peace. The peace treaty between Israel and Egypt didn't solve most of the problems in the Middle East, didn't solve most of Israel's security problems, but it solved some of them. And that's a good thing. The peace treaty between Israel and Jordan also solved some problems, and that's a good thing. And the burgeoning peace deal that I believe will happen soon between Israel and Saudi Arabia, already a working agreement between the two countries, is solving even more problems. And these all stem from the same thing. They all stem from strong American support for the state of Israel. That is what brings peace. And that's what the history tells us. So anyone who believes that this is a provocative move, this is going to cause more war, doesn't know their history or they're intentionally suppressing it. And that's really important. And finally, I want to talk about this from the point of view of the Palestinians, because every news organization, even ones that I think are a little bit more friendly to Israel, have gone out of their way today to speak to some Palestinians about how they feel about this embassy move. And I understand an initial wave of anger that some of them may have if they truly believe that this gets in the way of a state, they must feel very angry about that. Of course, the truth is what gets in the way of the state of statehood for Palestinians is the fact that Palestinians really have never shown any true interest in a state, any true interest in a government. Their leaders continue to refuse to do the things that are necessary for statehood because that's not what they're interested in and never has been. And now that Iran is now the major sponsor of Palestinian leadership in what is you know in, in Gaza especially but even in the West Bank they're starting to make some inroads there's no doubt now that all they have to offer the Palestinians is is death what you're seeing today with a death toll I believe at this point again it's it's 11:23 eastern time here in New York the death toll of Palestinians I think today alone is something somewhere near 50 maybe even growing as Iran is ordering Hamas to tell the people of Palestine Palestinian territories to Commit mass suicide. There's really other no way to say it. This is what that leadership offers them. It doesn't offer them statehood. It doesn't offer them prosperity. It's offering them death. And for what? You know, back in the days when all of us watched the CBS Evening News and maybe read one newspaper, a few days worth of headlines about Palestinian deaths might have made a difference. But today, 
hardly anyone is watching the same news source from, from, from the next guy sitting next to you. There are a million different news sources. And even if they all led with this story for a day or two, it'll be forgotten in another couple of days. That's worth losing your life for? Again, you want to be on the side of the high moral ground here. You want to be on the side of peace. And it's very, very important for supporters of Israel to remember that Israel is the only country where Jews, Arabs, and Christians can all pray freely and openly. It's the only country where Arab women have real rights. It's the best country to live if you're an Arab person living in the Middle East, unless you're a member of a royal family in some Gulf state. Let's just be honest. There are some rights and privileges that Arabs in Israel do not have. I'm not going to be uh, naive about that. That is for sure. But they live a more prosperous and safe and decent life within the borders of Israel than they have a chance to live in in any other Arab country and any other Muslim country. Again, unless they're part of the, the, the ruling royal family or a ruling power. And of course, that could end any day in a non-democratic situation. And it's important for us to talk about that when they talk about the two-state solution. You know, for what we call people who you know, want to call them drive-bys, people who just are interested in the story of the Middle East for a day or two to post it on their Facebook page and then to move on, it might be very fashionable for them to say, well, we want a two-state solution, or we want the Palestinians to have a state. What kind of state do you want them to have? A state like Jordan? A state like Yemen? A state like Syria? Where death and hopelessness reign supreme? Or do they want to have a state like Israel where the plurality and the harmony between nations, and I get harmony, is it harmony sitting together in a circle and loving one another? No. But it's peace. It's relative peace. Remember, crime is very low in Israel, so when you do have instances of violence that are connected to terror, as terrible as that is, you still have a relatively nonviolent country. It's safe to walk the streets of Israel at night, for the most part, most of the country. It's safe to do almost everything. Freedom of movement is there. And there's a growing economy, and there's growing opportunity. And this is the argument that people who are in favor of Israel need to make. It can't just be about Jewish self-determination and the rights of the Israel statehood. All that is true. I'm not knocking that for a second. But on the international stage, the argument that really needs to be paramount is that this is the moral choice. Again, just to review, when the United States supports Israel and makes that support very, very clear and very, very loud and very, very strong, the result is peace, not war. And that has happened several times in our history. And, and Arabs and Christians and non-Jews who live in the state of Israel have more freedom and more opportunities than they do anywhere else in the region. And that is also true. And do not let anyone argue otherwise. This embassy move is all about making that very, very clear to the world. And whatever you think about President Trump and his level of intelligence, listen, folks, <laughs> for everyone who makes fun of President Trump, I want to ask them, when was the last time you ran a successful company? When was the last time you ran a successful presidential campaign? You might not think he's the greatest intellectual who ever sat in the White House, but making the argument that he is somehow mentally deficient is just silly. It, it, again, flies in the face of the facts. We're not talking about an intellectual here, but that doesn't mean that this is someone who doesn't know what he's doing in many, <laughs> at least in, in, in his policy moves. So the idea that this is a reckless move just does not stand up when you weigh it against the facts. The facts are very much in favor of this in history.
the United States must support Israel if it wants peace. And Israel must continue to stay strong with the United States if it's going to remain a peaceful nation or at least get there someday. Don't forget any of that. I want to thank you for joining me in this edition of Novak Now. It's 11.28 here on the East Coast. I'll be back with you next week. But let's enjoy the day and enjoy the meaning of this embassy move and hope it does bring the peace. Historically, we believe it will. Thank you so much. Thank you.